Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Good. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, let me explain. It's really, really simple. One of us on the show is experiencing something for the first time. Usually it's a movie or a TV show because that's what I enjoy, but it can be literally anything you can experience for the first time. Um, today, we are talking about a couple movies, um, two that I am experiencing for the very first time and one that another guest is experiencing for the first time. And then uh, my second guest introduced uh, both of these movies to me as they are two of her favorites. Um, so my first guest is award-winning screenwriter. Uh, she has a BA in film uh, production. It's Danielle Smith. How's it going, Danielle? Hello. Good. Film studies. I, I uh, didn't get to produce. <laughs> okay, film, film studies. studies. Yes, but uh, I've met I met you through the film festival. Obviously, um, before I was even running a film festival, I was just there as a as a film fan. Met you and your husband Andy, and uh, our friendship has blossomed since then. Since we were just little wee children, and uh, it's been great to get to know you guys. And you know, we have very similar tastes and everything. So I'm just glad to finally get you on the show. So welcome. And my second guest, Cody Fleetner, an old friend of mine from right here in Burlington, Iowa, uh, also known as Coquina Addiction, one of the, if not the, the biggest queen here in town, um, former Miss Gay Iowa for FFI, just one of my best friends, one of the nicest guys I know. Um, welcome to the show, Cody. Oh, stop it. You're making me blush over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm excited to be on. Yes, and the first movie we're going to talk about today is The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. They're ready for stardom. They're ready for fame. They're ready for their close-up. Come on, girls. Let's go shopping. This is the story of three hard-working guys. What kind of cabaret do you do? We dress up in women's clothes and parade around mouthing the words to other people's songs. Who are about to discover... Ta-da! Been asked to do a show out of town? How long is the run? Four weeks. ...that hitting the road is hard. I hereby christen this budget Barbie camper Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Especially in heels. Sorry. Along the way, they'll discover surprises. It's Gabardine! I haven't seen Gabardine for years! Uncovers secrets. Is it true that her real name's Ralph? I'm gonna smack his face so hard. And learn that with friends like these... How long have we been on the road? Four and a half hours. Life's never a drag. What's happening? Um, I don't know. Oh, my God. Where are we? You got us into this, and I suggest you start thinking about how to get us back. I mean, who runs this bloody hotel in the middle of nowhere anyway? My wife. I'm married. This is getting too weird. Come on, girls. Rehearsal time. Haven't got any kids stashed away out there as well, have you? Mr. Belrose? Yes? It's a boy. Ah! You actually make money by dressing up like a woman? Oh, sure. You can make a fine living in a pair of heels.
prepare for a comedy that just may change the way you think. Tony, Adam, this is Mr. and Mrs. Spencer. Hello. Oh, wait! The way you feel. Who taught you to waltz? My wife. And most of all... Aren't we fabulous? The way you dress. How many times do I have to tell you green is not your color? <laughs> the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Um, do you have the Texas Chainsaw Mascara? <laughs> now there's a gentleman. Okay, so The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert was released August 10th, 1994. Um, Danielle, since this was your recommendation, do you sort of want to go over the story very briefly, just sort of an outline of what this movie's about? Oh, sure. Um, you, it takes place in Australia, and a drag performer gets a call from his wife to uh, come do a drag show in the middle of Australia, like out in the middle of nowhere. And so he enlists the help of a uh, transgender drag performer and another drag performer. And they take off in a giant bus, which they christen Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And they make their way through Nowheresville, Australia and face challenges to get to the uh, hotel where they're going to perform and find out about this wife and a child. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, this is a first time for me, and I believe first time for you too, right, Cody? Yes, like I had said prior, i surprised that the crew didn't come revoke my pink card because I hadn't watched this movie yet, but uh, I'm glad it's off the uh, rainbow bucket list now. I've watched it. We're good to go. Excellent. Well, this show, I'm um, trying to sort of break that stigma where people feel ashamed or embarrassed to admit they haven't seen something, so... Uh, you know, wear that with pride that you hadn't seen it and now you have seen it because I think it's it's a weird thing, especially in the film circles when you admit you haven't seen like a classic movie or something that everybody feels is really important. Uh, to me, it's like if I'm talking to someone and they ask if I've seen something and I say, you know, no, and they sort of, oh my God, what's wrong with you? What's Why not? Whatever. It's like, well, that's not a good way to get someone to watch it, you know, to shame, shame them. Like we should celebrate it. Cause when I, that's what this whole show's about to me um, is not only get to experience new stuff for myself, but I love introducing things to people. Like if I find a movie and I think a friend would really like it, uh, the it's so awesome to be able to like share that experience with them and see it through their eyes for the first time. So, uh, you know, I'm stoked that you hadn't seen this one that we, we, uh, get to hear your sort of first time experience watching this one too. Uh, overall, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I enjoyed both movies we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, but I had zero knowledge, especially more so this one. I knew the other, a little bit about the other movie, but this one, I was, I went in completely blind. I did not know anyone in the movie outside of the title. And I think um, the image of the bus with the big ribbon flying off it on the poster I had next to no knowledge. What was your sort of knowledge going into this, Cody? Um, the only thing I knew about, which was like a still image I had seen probably like 15 years ago, was of the large high heel shoe on top of the bus with the fabric flowing from the back with the drag queen on the top. And I'm like, my God, if I could get to that status of performance, <laughs> especially in a desert, I'm like, yes. But even that still frame 
didn't like intrigue me enough to go watch the movie at that time. So like to your point, I'm I'm glad I waited um, so I could share this experience with you guys. It's kind of, I feel a meant to be situation um, in that circumstance. I didn't know anything about the cast. I knew a little about the storyline um, because I do believe there's a Priscilla Queen of the Desert musical. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, Is it over in the UK? Or it started in the UK and came Probably. Over? Okay, so, and I, a couple of my friends from Chicago had told me about this glorious show and still, again, hadn't really intrigued me. But uh, like you, Tad, I, I didn't know too much about the movie going into it. But I really... I really liked it. I mean, it was quirky and eccentric, which is kind of my style anyways. And then you throw a big pink bus in there. I mean, hello. Yeah. Out of the two movies. And, uh, I, I will, I don't even really need to beat around the bush with the other one. Cause we're eventually going to just reveal that the, the other one, which is no surprise is, uh, to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Uh, Julie Newmar. And I feel like since we're talking about both of them, there's going to be a lot of comparisons going back and forth and, uh, we we played both of these. We did a um, Pride Film Festival at the Capitol many years ago, and obviously both of these uh, played. And I believe I ran projector for them, but usually if I'm running projector at the Capitol, that means I'm like too stressed to watch the actual movie because I'm worried about how the sound is and how everything looks and. Um, I'm just an anxious person, so I never really get to enjoy it if I'm if I'm running projector for a large crowd. So uh, I I'm sort of sad I didn't get to see this in the theater because uh, out of the two, I think this one's much more beautiful. The shots and cinematography in this are awesome, but it's in tone, it's a lot more serious and uh, has a lot darker uh, tone in general. But um, it is interesting that they both came out sort of. Uh, within a year of each other and have similar themes, but they are different enough that, you know, um, they they are very different in tone, I would say. Yeah. And that's one of the things I like about it is it is a little bit more dramatic, it, but it, I mean, it's realistic, dramatic, and still funny. Like yeah. the characters Both have are... a lot of pizzazz and like the 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 snippets the lines that they get out of each other are just great like if you can if you can hear them past the accents i always have everything on subtitles every anyway i know <laughs> yeah. there's some jokes that we don't get as non-aussies but it's still wonderful yeah that was something i had no idea about this was that it was australian so uh you know like i said i didn't know uh Terrence Stamp plays Bernadette, Guy Pierce plays uh, Adam or Felicia, and then Hugo Weaving plays Tick or Mitzi. Um, these guys all have such, these actors have such great chemistry between each other. Uh, I'm definitely the biggest fan of Bernadette. What a badass in this movie. Um, but it's it's cool to see, you know, Hugo Weaving, uh, who's known as Mr. Smith in the Matrix movies, do this before. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like, I don't know, um, what did you think, Cody? I, uh, it, it, to your point with Agent Smith, uh, I saw him laying on the couch and Greg, my husband, is sitting next to me and here he pops up and uh, they're doing that number in the desert, you know, when they were found by that tribe. And mm. I just lost it because I was like, this would totally be something I would do. <laughs> we were stranded in the middle somewhere and I have <laughs> costumes in my vehicle. <laughs> but I mean, he he made such like, an ugly queen but a beautiful queen at the same time i mean like he just gave no f's about anything and i really want that wig that kind of uh 
queen of hearts shaped flowered wig and those <laughs> bell-bottom pants that the pants, pants are actually the shoes i, I love didn't, those i was like why are they stomping around so crazy and then i saw the bottoms i'm like oh my gosh it's like a disco uh plastic army soldier you know like their feet are connected to the pants so <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much around. so yeah i mean I, I it was kind of i was taken aback with like who was playing that character and i was like my gosh what versatility there is with that because he went from playing that queen to agent smith in the matrix so it was just kind of a crazy like it kind of i don't know a fun little thing i guess i would say i it made me smile. And I, again, I liked the quirkiness of it. It was very like serious at one point, And then it flips over to a funny scene or something that made you laugh, you know? So especially the ping pong scene. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, no, she isn't. No, she and then Tom fly across the bar. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to book her for a show. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're taking notes like. Uh... Uh, yeah. <laughs> angle and pressure i'm gonna have to call her i'm gonna have to figure this out here gotta up my game here (laughs) yeah i i love the scenes where they do spontaneous shows um that one that specific scene was sort of just funny because they're so used to just like popping up and being you know the the stars of the show and then you know their that crowd was not having it and she walks in and uh yeah, the, it shit hits the fan pretty quick, uh, figurative, figuratively and literally, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I was cracking up too. But like I said, like like you were saying, the contrast in this one is um, much more stark, where it shows like a, a dramatic flashback of some some experience that one of the characters has had, and uh, even even the contrast in some of those. Like there's a scene where we uh, our minds are led to think that something truly awful is about to happen when he's a little boy with his uncle and then it turns into a funny story like right yeah uh, i i was taken aback i'm like oh no they are not showing this and then he gets his wanker you know stuck in the <laughs> hole and i'm like oh that's hilarious i was like he like turned the cards on that so yeah i, I like those little like unexpected turns in the movie itself i was trying yeah. to think about that i was like maybe australian tubs are different but like there's no way that's like actually possible because usually the drain is like right under the faucet and so you wouldn't sit with your back on the faucet but yeah i was like i will excuse it because it's awesome and that guy totally deserved it <laughs> yeah maybe the drain holes in the middle of the tub it could be Something. i don't know i have yet to yeah maybe we'll have to research australian tubs yes <laughs> we'll just write it off as an australian thing yeah <laughs> I, I did love, like I said, the cinematography in these scenes. Like there was really, other than it looking really awesome, there was really no reason for them to be doing these performances as they drove across the desert because uh, it was huge and elaborate and obviously was probably hell shooting that stuff. But man, uh, when you're watching a movie, it sure is gorgeous with that big ribbon flying behind mm-hmm. and riding up top. I, I'm like, this is not at all logical. Like no one can even see it exactly. except for us but it's it's awesome right it's just I one of those I, like you have a secret like i'm doing this thing even though nobody can see me <laughs> and i absolutely uh thought bob was like holy shit a, a, a great character in this um someone from the other side of the aisle who uh stereotypically 
would not uh i mean all of his friends all of the people that were around him were totally against the lifestyle and totally not having it and bob would stand up for them and uh just saw them for who they were and i thought that was that was I, like i wanted to hug bob the entire movie <laughs> yeah bob was awesome i actually what i got from the movie besides you know the crazy zany um performances and then the beep stuff is that um people should just accept or you know don't re don't read a card at face value there's more to a person than just what you see on the outside there's more on the inside so with bob's character i really felt that that he understood that not only did he appreciate the art but he also appreciated the person behind the art so i really resonated with bob with a lot of people that i've met in my life that um you may have not understood what drag was but then met myself or other performers and now they're on the other side and they're our allies and they understand it so i thought bob was a very strong character in this movie yeah it's about not just making assumptions about people on either side of the aisle of because i live out in rural nowhere and uh it you, you can't judge people because sometimes people have surprised me um you know i have ideas about what they would be like but then they say or do something else you're like oh okay you might be a little bit more open than i thought yeah because we get that scene where they're sitting with bob and uh his his uh accidental wife that's hilarious um <laughs> and they're eating eating her cooking and they're they're trying not to be rude about it and um you know they're they're a little nervous to talk about what they do tell him that they're you know professional girls and uh working girls and he he says that and then bob's like well i saw you know a show 30 years ago or something and uh it's so hilarious because i think it was uh felicia said you know well you might have seen bernadette you know uh wouldn't surprise me how old you know they made an age joke about bernadette being like an old old drag queen and it was pretty funny but it was it was awesome because it was like you could see a little bit of relief where it was like okay this guy doesn't want to kill us like this guy is cool uh he's he's seen a show before understands it um it was like that was when everybody sort of came together and it was like okay we're on the same page bob is cool uh they're cool with bob like like you said cody like uh on both sides of the aisle like you know they were sitting in this sort of uh not ideal situation in this house with eating some food they didn't necessarily love. Um, and this, you know, just basically trying to get their bus fixed from this, this dude. And they probably in their mind had it made up as to what he was going to think that he probably was, you know, um, uh, typical Australian dude. And it was just cool to see, like they found a connection and it was simple as that. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, even, uh, the child, um, mm -hmm to uh oh i can't think of his name now i'm just gonna call him agent smith oh, yeah <laughs> agent Tick. smith's Tick's um, child yes even even he was scared to show who he really was on the inside and the kid was very accepting of it like you know he was like actually excited and like when he mentions abba you know like the kid was very cultured i could tell that and uh, I, I, I felt this whole movie was all about like acceptance about, you know, it doesn't matter what you wear or what you do. It's just accepting everybody for who they are and loving them for that, you know, but it doesn't matter what age you are too. 
I sort of wondered, like, when I was watching the scene with the kid where he admits the son where he, you know, says something about ABBA and, and is, like, cool with it. Um, and Tick, once again, is sort of relieved, like, oh, you know, and you're okay with it. Um, it's sort of like that innocence of a child. Like, we aren't born with hate. We learn it through other people. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like the pureness of a child who was not raised to hate others for some for for ridiculous reasons. It was just like it, it's just great to see that. Like you know, he was he was a little he was so scared, but it's like you know, uh, it seemed like uh, Tick and his wife they had an agreement. You know, at some point, um, we we do learn their story because on this bus trip we is when we find out it's like a big reveal that uh, Tick was married he gets the phone call and they sort of uh leave it as a mystery until they're on the bus ride and it's like you know who who is this job for it's like my my wife like you're married and then yeah later we find out about the kid and uh it's just yeah it's important to take that as a note too because it's like this kid wasn't taught to hate so therefore he doesn't which is is a, a message in itself too right and it's kind of like well that kid that kid's mom was larger than life so it's like well no duh the kid was raised to be open because look at the mom you know and (laughs) (laughs) absolutely it was kind of like why are you even scared like look who you married do you doubt how she would have raised your child like yeah but i think also and you know cody may uh vouch for this too i imagine it's just like you always have your guard up and Mm -hmm. i mean being like cody's here in iowa and um when I Cody was my like first uh, eyes into the drag world and you know, Iowa is a red state. There's no, that's no secret. Um, and it's, I don't want to make it too political, but it's amazing. The, the community we have for it here and that's thanks to Cody, but it's just, I'm, I'm just been uh, so proud and, and happy to see that um, our community is, is, and, and there's definitely, I'm not saying like, we're you know we we have pride parades every weekend and that um everybody opens their arms to it uh there's definitely some awful things said and done in this town just like everywhere but uh for a small town iowa um you know it's it's there it's hard to get into a drag show let's just say that when cody puts on a show uh you better get your fucking tickets right away because uh it's a hard it's a hard time finding a seat and uh and and the people are fighting for those seats up front, guys and girls. So <laughs> you got to keep making them want more. So that's what you're gonna, you got to <laughs> elevate that bar up there. No, to your point, I, the guard is always up. Even even now, like I my guard isn't usually up anymore, but it, it's always that that deafening thing. Like when I meet a new group of people or I start a new job, it's like okay. When am I gonna tell them that I have a husband? And when am I gonna tell them that I'm a drag queen? And you know, it's mm-hmm. and it's like these these things shouldn't be a big issue. You know, it's just like I don't know. It it has that resonation, but just because of where we're at. But mm-hmm. to your point, Tad, I've I've made a staple in the community and a name for myself. So usually, usually when I say, "Well, I'm a drag queen," and they go, "Oh my gosh, I love drag queens. What's your name?" and I'll say, "Coquina Addiction." they know who i am immediately they're like you're coquina and then they like flip out so like it breaks down that that you know barrier and that oh gosh are they gonna like me but i i don't usually run into that anymore so than like probably 10 even 10 years ago but uh definitely 20 years ago (laughs) (laughs) on that so 
yeah, it's like that that scene with Bob. I imagine um, people that when you tell them your drag name, that people are like, "Oh shit, I've seen you before!" Like, right? You know, th- they don't even realize because uh, you transform so well with all the the uh, theatrics and makeup and stuff uh, that they don't even realize that they've probably seen you. If you've seen a drag show in Burlington, you've seen uh, Coquina. So yeah, you've probably seen my old ass spinning around on the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and to your point, Ty, when you said that, you know majority of Iowa is a more conservative minded. Um, that was my whole goal of like doing drag is not only entertaining the audience, but kind of opening their mind a little bit. And that, again, going back to Queen of the Desert, Priscilla, this whole movie was like to open people's minds of the art of drag of there's more to us than just the makeup and the wigs and the costuming. Um, and I've, I've done that with a lot of people here. I, I kind of like to brag a little bit on that that i've had people who would never step into a place that had a drag show to now like you said clawing at the door because they want tickets and they want to be in the front row it's they they didn't realize the experience they were going to have was going to be a fantastic one and a positive one they had the stigma and like negative stereotypical things in their mind that this is what this is but it actually was this and they were like oh well it wasn't as bad and actually thoroughly enjoyed myself they bring 10 friends and their 10 friends bring 10 friends so um it's it's about building that unity of community no matter where you come from yeah and if you can't go to one of these shows and have a good time you're just uh a a bad person yeah no one of the lines that i got when i was rewatching Priscilla this week was uh after Adam, like, foolishly took some drugs and, like, ran out into the middle of a mining town, like, trying to start shit with the men there. Like, Bernadette finally was kind to Adam because they had had, like, a contentious relationship for the whole ride because Adam is really annoying <laughs> and uh, in a fun way for the audience. Um, but just kind of, she made a com Bernadette made a comment that said, like, about leaving the suburban safe zone of Sydney and wondered if the walls were there to keep them in or the rural people out or vice versa type of thing and it's just like yeah once you step outside of your safe zone in your community it's a different world and you're not sure what you're going to find it's definitely some interesting contrast like uh cody mentioned earlier when they find that that or actually the the tribe uh finds them like when their bus is broken down again um and brings them to their sort of party. And, and those three dudes are playing acoustic guitars and they finish the song and they all start clapping. And it's like the second record scratch moment of that night uh, where everyone stops and turns and sort of looks at them. And then it's like, you know, okay, like we have a lot in common. Let us show you what we can do. And that's the, the big scene where they do the dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just cool to see like different cultures appreciating um, each other's talents yeah. and, and how they work. And, uh, there was a lot of, like I said, really, really funny stuff. Uh, Guy Pierce was uh, surprising just because sort of the uh, Guy Pierce was the youngest one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and sort of the most uh, energetic and, mm-hmm. and the one who's uh, confrontational more so, I would say. It seems like uh, Felicia or, or Adam would get them into trouble and then Bernadette was always the one uh, <laughs> getting them out out of trouble. Uh, the the moment where uh, Bernadette uh, 
oh, just so, there's so many burns from Bernadette, like so many slams and funny burns, and uh, just so good. I just I, I, not even one specific moment, just every. I, I think Bernadette's my favorite character from this movie. What about you guys? Yeah, I was gonna say Bernadette. She's like a badass bitch. Like she's she's done her time. Mm-hmm. She is not gonna put up with anybody's shit. And she's like Mama Bear, though, too. You know, like, even though the Cubs may be annoying to her, she's going to protect her babies. So, and her one-liners. I love a, I love a queen that has great one-liners. So she was an A-plus in my book. She really is. I, I saw a review that was like, she's actually, you know, the protagonist type of thing and um, versus uh, Tick's character. But, like, Adam is just, I uh, like, one of the, I I don't remember the first time I watched this movie, but anytime I ever like hear the song, I don't care if the sun don't shine, <laughs> I gotta love my baby in the evening time. <laughs> like I always think of of Adam dancing around the bus, like beating on the bus every time I hear that song anymore. And I don't know why they locked him outside because he made food for them, <laughs> like, <laughs> and they let him paint the whole bus by himself, <laughs> like they kind of like you know. A little mean to him well, too, but he totally I, deserved it because he was a little brat. And well, maybe it, sorry, he, go ahead. He did. I noticed, like, with the kid when he met the kid, that's when he finally realized, like, this child is more mature than I am, and like took <laughs> on a different role at the end of it. Yeah, it was uh, a contrast or, or uh, something similar between the two movies. Was sort of like they have this uh, younger. Uh, performer that that I feel like is sort of um, treated like the little brother mm-hmm. and is almost like or I guess little sister and is sort of like getting uh, has to pay their dues like has to uh, do a little more put a little more effort in and uh, show a little more uh, I don't know a little more oomph to get it to to be accepted by the veterans in the group. Uh, that's something I felt was similar in both movies because we have two groups of three queens and, uh, you know, d- in this one, there was more so you could see the levels, you know, like Bern- like Cody was saying, Bernadette was obviously the mama bear, the most experienced. Uh, and then you had Tick, who was sort of in the middle. And then um, Adam was at the very sort of new and, and obviously much younger than the other two. But uh, they sort of, and I imagine Cody is that sort of like, how it is in the in the drag world like you have to pay your dues and earn the respect i mean back in the day yes um you know nowadays it's it's hit or miss with whatever community you look at but when i started i i was an adam (laughs) (laughs) wanting to get into the bar and you know perform and i had all this energy and all this like ideas and i really didn't want to listen to anybody but then i had the bernadettes backstage pulling my nappy ass walmart wig off and putting on a front lace wig and they're like no bitch if you're going on stage this is what you're wearing and then they're putting you know more rouge on and and you know highlighting my face and then they sat me down and they're like you've got the talent now we just need to show you how to paint your face and so the bernadettes showed me how to mold myself to who i am today so without them and without their hard love which you know priscilla i feel a lot of this is um the hard love actually bases a great foundation of your character and you learn a lot more from that. I mean, I learned so much from, you know, I look back and like, God, they were bitches, but they were being bitches because they believed in me and they, 
truly wanted me to, you know, excel in the performance of drag. So without them, you know, I don't know where I would be now, but I, I give them a whole deal of gratitude of myself to them for, for showing me, even though at times it was hard. <laughs> they were uh, just... Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> but yeah, I, it's you're paying the dues and I nowadays it's drag has become so mainstream, you know, you've got RuPaul's Drag Race and um, all these other like offset shows like I it, there's so much more acceptance to it, which is great. But then at the same time, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I personally witnessed and seen, you know, baby queens is what we call them, not really care to listen to the veterans anymore. They want to do their own thing, and it's all about just the look. They, they look a certain way, and then they feel that is all they have to do. And there's, there's a lot more to drag than just a look. There's a lot of layers and depths in everything or drag means something different to everybody, but we all, you know, share that depthness of drag. So I feel with it being more mainstream, it's losing a little bit of that, um, just from what I've witnessed and, and seen. I know from your shows, from just uh, sitting in the background and, and just knowing uh, how much you put into it, it's incredible. People don't know the behind the scenes of, uh, you know, you're not just pulling up to a bar and they have the shit ready for you. Like, you know, you, you're not only doing your own makeup and costumes, uh, your own choreography, putting together the music, um, decorating the place, uh, setting the stage, booking the other acts, bringing them in, finding places for them to stay. Uh, people don't think about that other kind of stuff. And this movie, uh, and probably the other one, uh, are, bo they both, or I guess neither really focuses on that aspect of the actual uh, showmanship. It sort of focuses on the day-to-day -day life and, and being in society and uh, living as a, as a queen. And um, as far as like the, in this movie, the, the routines, we don't see many, but um, would you say that they were, okay or i mean i know that these are actors that are not they obviously haven't done their time and stuff so it's it's interesting for me to think like did they do any kind of training um did they do any kind of like dance classes or anything like i i know obviously you know you've put in a lot of work and and training and uh put in the time to to figure out how to do uh your routines but what did you think of their showmanship in this one well, I, 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 again, had a little giggle moment because I've, I've done like the history of drag, like I've researched, you know, once I got involved in this art, I wanted to know, like, where did this come from? And who are some of the uh, famous performers of, of the times? And you could definitely tell this was like a early 90s movie just by the makeup, just mm -hmm. by like how they did their eyebrows and like their, their contouring and, and the highlighting. It just made me giggle because girl back in the day everybody had pencil eyebrows so <laughs> that's what made me giggle so much when i saw that but i actually thoroughly enjoyed how over the top their costuming was mm -hmm. i mean i was especially that scene where um tick is in the hospital when he finds out he's having a baby boy oh holy shit in that gargantuous chandelier outfit and i'm like why is that not in my closet upstairs? <laughs> I mean, I was just, I, the costuming, I think, 
went well with how quirky it was with their performances. So I actually really enjoyed it because their costuming really told the story of what they were doing on stage and their dance moves were simplistic, but that's fine. I mean, if you can tell what you want to tell across the stage, whether you're doing, you know, back bends and, you know, death drops or wearing crazy ass costumes like that, I'm, I'm in it for it all. So. I think they won some awards for the costuming for Adventure to Priscilla. They should, because they were amazing. <laughs> I loved it. I want that peacock outfit, too. Or they oh, my God. Ostrich. I'm sorry. Yes, I love the ostrich one. I, like, wrote that one down. And, like, the the, uh, the bearded dragon with the, like, you know, <laughs> flipping it up the cape. It was giving it, like, Jurassic Park vibes. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, it threw me off, because I was like, are they, like, condensing the whole two-week stay into this sequence? No, it was the same first night, like, all of the song and, like, all these crazy costume changes within, like, one second. I'm like, no, no, that doesn't happen, but okay, we'll roll with it. I wish I had movie magic like that for an actual show. That would be fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, we see that scene where they are getting ready to leave in the bus, and um, I think it's adam that has like the huge trunk and is super messy and unorganized and they are just throwing it in the bus uh huge trunk and all that stuff is pretty funny like having to carry all that stuff (laughs) oh yeah like the oh yeah the one the trunk of shoes and the the trunk of whoa man (laughs) products yeah there was a an abaturd in a in a jar (laughs) it's silly but fun so, uh, Danielle, you were the one that recommended these movies. Uh, what is your like history with specifically uh, this one? You know, I don't remember when I saw either of them for the first time. Um, this one I definitely saw later than Tu Wong Fu. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I just really liked it. And there was the definitely scenes that stuck out in my memory Um when I wasn't watching, I could remember, you know, Adam running around singing the song and beating on the bus and the ping pong scene. You know, some of those things just stick with you. Yeah, I think uh, the ping pong st- scene will stick with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's burned into my memory. <laughs> uh, that Cody mentioned the scene where they, they and they tease it at the beginning of the movie um, when the doctors tell him that he's had a baby, uh, but it you know they reveal it later but that chandelier like it's very um abstract like it's it's almost like a fever dream or something like mm-hmm. uh that was sort of the like sort of a style in this movie that i thought was really cool like the flashbacks were almost like dream like mm-hmm. uh what did you think of that like is that is that one of the reasons you really love this one yeah i like the little the blips of being able to see like this brief moment because they always say for filmmaking show don't tell. So it's less fun for us to see Adam saying, yeah, this guy was sitting in the tub and he told me to reach down and touch him. We see it and we get to feel it and get that energy from it instead of just hearing about it. So it was nice to have, we had a snippet from each one of them about part of their life that was important. I thought it was yeah, well it sort of. Yeah, me too. It sort of uh, reveals a little bit of their backstory and makes you connect to them a little bit more. Yeah. So I know you did some research on this one, Danielle. Did you have any fun uh, facts or 
tidbits into the history of this one? Um, well, I was on Wikipedia, yay research, um, and the writer-director, Stephen Elliott, actually plays the doorman at the hotel, like, the one who's, like, getting off those little one-liners and stuff. That's actually the writer-director. Okay. Um, one of the executive producer, Rebel Penfold Russell, she is the marathon runner that we see with that device that she catches oh, up yes. to them a couple times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is so that strange. me up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they also, for the role of Bernadette, they had thought about Tony Tony Curtis and John Cleese. For Tick, they were thinking of Rupert Everett and Adam, they wanted Jason Donovan. Yeah, I had heard that Colin Firth was also up for Mm -hmm. for Tick, which is interesting. Yes, and they're also looking at Tim Curry to play Bernadette. That might have been a little too on the nose. Like, Curry had his moment, um... You know, we we already know uh, Curry from uh, Rocky Horror, so. Mm -hmm. And so, like, they had, when they showed the film in different countries, people would respond differently depending on where you were at. So when they're in Australia, they're laughing at all, like, the Aussieism stuff. The Americans laughed at different jokes, like, Bernadette left her cake out in the rain. The French didn't get that, but they said the Americans laughed for 10 minutes at that. And, um... And apparently the movie meant different things for people, different subgroups, like the LGBT Americans thought that the film was going to be a big one that would bring gay lifestyle into the mainstream, while the Australians just looked at it like, well, it's another successful Australian film. So That's interesting that uh, it was just like a mainstream, because it hit number one. I think both of these movies did hit number one on their weekends they came out. Yeah, I think, um, let's see, two... Priscilla does better on the the rating scales right, that we have right now, but Tu Wong Fu did better at the box office and it made three much three times as much than Priscilla did in the U.S. box office. And that makes sense, probably because it's an American movie, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, people, especially, I think the, and we won't go t- deep into this one yet, but um, I definitely think it's probably more so because of the. Uh, names it was almost like a gimmick in wong fu where it was like we took these masculine men that everybody knows as like action stars and put them into uh women's clothing and that was sort of the the catch for that one where this one i'm sure these actors were well known but it wasn't so it wasn't so much the same because uh you know we know that uh later they become bigger names, but at the time they, and maybe in Australia, they're more recognizable, but in the U S they hadn't, they they weren't quite the same. They weren't quite the same name recognition. Which is funny for me because I think I saw this movie early enough that, uh, for Hugo Weaving and Terrence Stamp, anytime I saw them in something previous after this, I was like, Oh, I saw them in Priscilla. Like that's where I (laughs) originated them with. Yeah, I, I've looked up some stuff on IMDb. They have a huge list of stuff, and I don't want to go like tick for tick, but I just pick out some of the stuff I found um, hilarious and interesting. The uh, famous thong dress, which helped win the movie an Academy Award, cost only seven dollars. Isn't that how it always <laughs> is, man? Yeah. Uh, due to a heavy filming schedule, lots of the filming was done while the entire crew was on the road. But because the bus was such a small set, there was no room for the crew. As such, in many scenes, they are actually in shot, hiding under clothes and under props. Nice. Um, According to Terrence Stamp, he had gotten into character by imagining himself as a beautiful woman. 
But uh, Stefan Elliott told Brian Brennehy to make Stamp look as bad as possible. Stamp never watches his daily, so he had no idea how he looked until the premiere and was shocked. Uh, Brihini apologized for Stamp at the premiere. Oh. <laughs> Let's see. Guy Pierce took the opportunity to be outrageously rude. Terrence Stamp eventually forgot he was in drag and started hitting on girls. And Hugo Weaving got super drunk and... Uh, laid under a table for hours, tapping his finger in time to the music. This last detail was incorporated into the film in the hotel room scene. <laughs> so they, the uh, the director actually took the three leads out in drag before filming, and that's what happened. Oh, nice. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, because yeah. that scene was really fun with the bar room. The, yes. The first bar room scene. Let's see. As of 2017, this is the most recent non-period film to win the Academy Award for Best Costume Design. I don't know if that's true now. There's probably well, I, I the ones I remember in recent times were probably more period pieces. Um, let's see. There, there's so many here. I'm just trying to look through them and not uh, read and, and overlap. Um, the opening and closing scenes were both filmed in the same day. Uh, according, I like this one. According to director Stephen Elliott, he got the idea for the film while seeing a plume of feathers break from a drag queen's headdress during uh, Sydney's Mardi Gras parade and go tumbling down a deserted street like a tumbleweed from uh, Sergio, Sergio Leone Western. So, <laughs> I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I really loved the uh, scene where they are broken down and they find that water and they run over the sort of uh, hills in the desert and it has that wide shot with the silhouettes of the trees and the sunset. It was gorgeous. Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. Appreciate where you're that, at, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's so cool. Like that, you know, other, some of the desert scenes could have just sort of been anywhere there's desert, but that one was like, okay, this is Australia. This is, we don't get that beauty here. So it was kind of funny when they did finally all climb, um, king's peak or whatever it's called in drag and they did all that work to get up there and they look at it and they're like wow australia okay i'm ready to go home now (laughs) (laughs) i would be the same way if i had to wear that outfit and walk through the desert and i i need to know what kind of foundation they're using because they did not look like they were melting (laughs) (laughs) maybe they're using some of that wool man yes (laughs) cream stuff (laughs) yeah (laughs) i like how the the scene where um Tick's putting that on the uh, bus. He's like sloppling it on there. Like maybe this yes. will fix this as well. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> noticed that. Up. <laughs> it looked like melted Crisco, to be honest. I was like, oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> uh, Priscilla, the bus was one of the openings, uh, was one of the opening ceremony parade entries at the Summer Olympics in Sydney, complete with the giant silver shoe on top. The American network showing the event cut around that entry, although it can be seen in the background. So uh, fuck you, America, for cutting around that. That sucks. But uh, it's awesome that it was part of the Summer Olympics in Sydney. That's amazing. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I think that's sort of all the ones I had that I thought was interesting. There's there's endless trivia on this, but uh, those are the ones I thought. Did you have anything else, Danielle? Um, I don't think I had anything else for like the trivia parts of it, but when um, like Wikipedia, you know, they always have spots for like racism and sexism controversy. And apparently 
um, the Center for Filipino Concerns was not happy about the ping pong <laughs> lady. <laughs> I could see that. Yes. And they're like, you know, since you're, you know, trying to get acceptance for homosexuals, you know, you're just giving us this racist, sexist stereotype. And it's like, there's always going to be something. And then apparently, I mean, you know, drag queens aren't not going to offend you, you know? Exactly. Part of our Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I was born this way. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, did anybody have any final thoughts on this one before we went to the next movie? I just really like it a lot. <laughs> I'm just glad I finally got to watch it. And uh, I'll probably watch it again. Like you uh, had mentioned earlier with the Australian accents, very thick. It was hard to hear some of the dialogue. And I knew there were some funny moments in there that I had missed. So I'll probably watch it a couple more times um, just so I can really like hear the dialogue and, and appreciate the movie even more. But overall, I love the movie. I want, Me too. I'm so glad I've got to see it. I want the bus with the high heel. It Absolutely. would do really well in my town of 220 people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a parade on its own. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, well, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with our second movie. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening All right, we're back and we're ready to talk about our second movie, which is no surprise because you've seen it in the title of this episode and we talked about it on the first part of this episode. It is Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Wesley Snipes, he's been a killer and a commando. Patrick Swayze, he's been a heartthrob and a hero. But these tough guys are about to face the most physically challenging roles of their careers. Let's give it to them, girls. Meet Vita Boehm. Enchanté. Why are you crying? Maybe she just found out Menudo broke up. Miss Noxima Jackson. Jesse's daughter. And their protege, Chichi Rodriguez. I'm the Latino Marilyn Monroe. I got more legs than a bucket of chicken. They were headed for Hollywood. Think of it as Easy Rider in dresses. On a sacred mission. Must take this message from Miss Newmar with us across the land. But along the way, they had an unexpected stop. You know what your career girls want? Careers? Daddy, oh, some sugar. Please, no. No. No, I can't believe this. Don't quote me, but I think this one is deceased. A dead white policeman? Now, they're stranded in a strange land. Well, ladies, welcome to Snydersville. And you thought the dust bowl was over? This is the presidential suite. Must have been one of those bad presidents. You got beat up by a girl? <laughs> and before they leave... Do you like my nails? They may turn this town from drab to utterly, utterly 
fabulous. Universal Pictures and Amblin Entertainment present... How do I look? Like the Miami sound machine just exploded all over you. Wesley Snipes. Look, I'm sorry about the way the Civil War turns out. Patrick Swayze. I gather you like hitting ladies. Some ladies need to get hit. And John Leguizamo. I gotta go. I got cramps. To Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Turn it out! Released September 8th, 1995, starring Wesley Snipes as Noxima, Patrick Swayze as Vita, John Legazamo as Chi-Chi, and Chris Penn as the asshole Sheriff Dullard. Um, this one is outrageous. This is one that I'm surprised I haven't seen Um I, this is sort of like in at least American culture, it's like everybody has seen this one. So it's probably one that I'm, I should be embarrassed that I haven't seen, but uh, I, I've heard like watching it for the first time. I've heard so many jokes that I've heard people reference and I didn't get the reference, um, you know, one liners and stuff from this one. So uh, it's just interesting to finally find out where those are from. Uh, but you guys have both seen this. Obviously, Danielle recommended it. And Cody, you've seen this one, correct? Yes, this was probably one of my first movies I, or, you know, first cinematography pieces that I'd seen that incorporated the drag scene and the drag um, world uh, to me. My friend Landon actually showed this to me shortly after I came out. He was like, girl, you've got to see this movie. And um, I'll never look at princess points the same ever again. so danielle do you want to go over the basic storyline of this one for us since again this was your suggestion yeah um let's see two drag queens win a competition in new york and have to take a third less well-developed drag princess with them across the u.s to the hollywood competition and Somewhere along the way, their car breaks down, and they're in redneck rural America in drag. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, this one is is absolutely more um, comedic in tone than the other movie. Uh, there's not much seriousness in this one. There's some moments, you know, where uh, we run across some characters who are opposed to the lifestyle, but... Uh, it's handled in a much lighter way, I would say, than the other movie, and it doesn't necessarily tackle some serious tones. Um, I don't know this. This is probably more rewatchable because of that, because it's it's so lighthearted and fun. But I felt like uh, Priscilla definitely tackled some of the social issues a little harder. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned earlier that I feel like this one definitely relies heavy on the gimmick of making Wesley Snipes and Patrick Swayze specifically dress up in drag. It's like at the time, both of those guys were known for action movies and big muscles and masculinity, um, especially Wesley Snipes. I mean, holy shit, in this movie, he's he's fucking ripped. Uh, but what a cool like way to get, you know, to get these guys and to make it um maybe more acceptable is to get people like that would, I, I just imagine in, in the nineties when this came out, there was a lot of dudes who were angry about it because this was like, they had seen roadhouse and they're like, you know, that's my dude, Patrick Swayze. He's not a drag queen. You know, I can just imagine 
some of the outrage that came out of this, but um, I thought it was a blast. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the first time I saw it. And then I was trying to, I was going through my Letterboxd account, trying to figure out like if I referenced it in my previous uh, movie blog. And I didn't really, uh, except to say, yeah, I've watched this one a whole bunch. And if I would have known at 10 years old that this would be one of my favorite movies, I still wouldn't have been allowed to watch it. <laughs> you know, as a 10 year old, not that was not the kind of stuff in my household. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is one of those movies that you can definitely just put on and let play in the background and you're paying attention and you're saying the lines that you're doing other things like that's I've watched it a lot of times that way. I say you you told me you sort of just reviewed it again, um, just having it on the TV while you worked on something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you must you must know this one pretty well to be able to do that. Yeah, I've watched it more than once. <laughs> it's I don't know. It's one of those that even though it's so unrealistic, it's fun. And it's it's just one of those makes you lifts you up and feel pretty good. I mean, obviously, there's super unrealistic things about it, like traveling in drag the entire time. Mm-mm. Like, yeah, Cody, yeah, they're never on that. <laughs> that would be an absolute nightmare. You couldn't pay me enough money to travel in drag. You know, it's funny you didn't mention that because Landon, who showed me this movie, he actually wanted to do that. He's like, I want to get a convertible and we should like travel in drag to like Iowa City. And I'm like, you're insane. I am not putting makeup on and sitting in a car for an hour and a half. <laughs> my, my, my usual regimen with makeup is, you know, I get ready for a show and the show will last maybe two hours and then I'm ready to take the shit off. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> Yeah, these these day to day where they're in drag constantly. I'm like, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So yeah, and for the unrealistic side of things, and to look that good too, mm-hmm. it takes a lot to look that cheap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of work just for a show. I was like thinking, my gosh, the amount of work it would take round the clock to be in drag full time. You know, in a person, you know in this movie like if it was real life like it's just unrealistic just crazy yeah yeah and they're put in a lot of situations that are over the top comedic um sort of like outlandish stuff but it's it's definitely you know made to make you laugh out loud uh like the the whole cop sub subplot the sheriff um that's definitely a little outlandish and and cartoony in the fact that they thought they killed him and then when he wakes up like none of the other cops will even help him look for them because you know he got beat up by a, a girl you know and it's it's like uh it was a little cringy in that moment but um it's still very funny and just you know seeing wesley snipes in drag for an hour and a half it was enough for me it's friggin' arms <laughs> yeah uh i will say the entire time, I I don't know if it, I missed it at the beginning, if they said it had it in the credits, but I, until the credits rolled at the end, did not realize who Chi-Chi was. I did not recognize uh, John Leguizamo as uh, Chi-Chi. I, I obviously knew it was uh, someone in drag, but I was like, I didn't, didn't realize it was another famous actor. I thought it was uh, Wesley Snipes, Patrick Swayze, and then maybe an unknown actor sort of uh, in that role. But we even have, you know, Chris Penn, who's uh, known for working with Tarantino and a lot of other uh, great filmmakers. Uh, Jason London, who um, 
is brothers with Jeremy London, who's in all the Kevin Smith movies. Uh, they both look so much alike. You could just sort of replace one with the other if you want. And then we have the big group of women in this small town where they're, uh, where they're broken down, their cars broken down. And, and it's, it's funny. These, these uh, older women who are just sort of used to a lifestyle where um, they are meant to obey their husbands and cook dinner and go on about their boring lives. Uh, and, you know, their lives are flipped completely upside down when these three come to town. Um, and the, comparing it to priscilla it's like the costuming on this um they went for more like quantity not as much quality i would say there's not as many over-the-top costume pieces but they certainly change their costumes like three times a day like anytime Mm -hmm. they go into a different room it seems like they're wearing a new outfit and it's like holy shit yeah definitely well and it's like blythe danner and soccer channing too like really well known for a lot of certain roles especially like lifetime movies (laughs) so it was kind of fun to see them out yeah roughing it in the midwest yeah and there's some touching moments here like uh you know uh patrick swayze as vita is sort of the almost like the mama bear in this one like cody was saying but uh protects i think is it uh beatrice or one of the ladies or carol ann um one of them is getting beat up by her husband. Who's a huge piece of shit in this movie. Uh, is it Virgil is the yeah. husband? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, Vita's noticing, you know, little things, little signs that things are not good in this home. And it's, there's, it comes a point where finally Vita's like bitch slaps him across the face. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, and then there's the scenes where the local townie guys are constantly harassing them, which one of those scenes was cracking me up just because it's like everywhere they went, these guys were following them. It's like, if you have such a problem with them, leave them the fuck alone. Like go away. You have nothing to do, but follow them from building to building. Uh, it just sort of made me crack up. Cause they, they went to that um, shop with the, the poor kid who has a stutter and they find the sixties clothes upstairs. And you know, that's when they have like the makeover scene with the ladies at the, at the salon. Um, and they all step out and they're all confident again. It's sort of the the stereotypical makeover scene in every movie <laughs> where, you know, the this is definitely like the queer eye moment where these uh, queens, you know, come in and redress these older frumpy women and give them a makeover, the makeup and the hair and everything. And they step out and then the guys are like, whoa, you know, <laughs> but uh, lots of great moments in this one, too. Um what what is it about this one that you love, Danielle? Why did you pick this one? Oh, it's just I don't know. Like like you say, like you get to it's the fabulousness of life, and they're they're just telling you to enjoy it and dress up and put on a. But that's a lot of work. I I am not a woman that uh, puts a lot of effort into my appearance as parents, and especially not during pandemic days. I am in pajamas as I always am, <laughs> pandemic or not. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I mean, it's just something fun and just the, the attitude and just the stuff that you get into. And I guess it's kind of the also knowing that they're going to be okay because this movie doesn't really get too in-depth to it, like, with too much danger. Like, there's a little bit of danger, but we know they're going to be fine. Um, I don't know. And just to kind of, like, watch the ridiculousness of it and just, I don't know, just have fun with it. Yeah, they... 
they basically uh in this movie it starts off you know with a big scene and they're actually i think rupaul's actually in that opening mm-hmm. scene right yep racial yeah. tension wearing a confederate flag <laughs> yeah yeah like, i was like kudos oh. to that bitch for coming from the ceiling down i'm like oh my gosh and there's actually quite a bit of famous drag queens mm-hmm. in the opening scene um one of my favorites is uh miss coco peru she's wears like kind of the uh redhead bob uh wig that's kind of her staple wig she doesn't really veer off of that and then lady bunny Mm -hmm. um she's a very well-known drag queen in new york she started wig stock back in the early 90s um so it was like a big drag uh like like uh woodstock it was just like uh you know slap a drag thing on it and uh big huge like show production out there with uh that and head of lettuce is another famous iconic uh, new york drag queen. i love it head of lettuce head of lettuce yeah um misunderstood fiona james lady katrilla i mean there's there's a lot of like iconic queens at that very beginning so i like i like the tip of the hat to like diehard drag queen fans that you know in that time um followed them that it was kind of like hey here's all some of your favorite people and we're going to throw them in this movie with as like cameos so i i kind of like the nod to that mm-hmm. um at the very beginning yeah showing some respect to the history and showing that right. they've done their work and and actually respect the uh business absolutely and then you have the little moment I'm with it- naomi campbell coming up to noxima and say i only hope i can be as pretty as you <laughs> 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 Yeah, that was good too. Oh. I, I that's it's funny to see. Uh, you know, it's definitely of the times. I guess definitely uh, a '90s movie for sure when she makes an appearance. Yeah. Uh, I had read that the real Julie Newmar showed up on set one day to watch filming, and that's how they got her a cameo at the end. There um, was that she just happened to be on set, and so they sort of wrote it into the movie. It wasn't actually scripted. Oh, oh cool. And, yeah, and Robin Williams um, appears uncredited, obviously, in there as John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, which is another, like, any time he's on the camera, he's stealing the scene. Oh, my God. Um, Love him. Yeah, and that that scene was great. He, You know, he's the one that sort of got them the car. Uh, they go to him looking for a way that they can, because they, they, each one, they had plane tickets to go to the championships, like the, the big show, and... Uh, they decide they want to bring along uh, their their little friend who's in the hallway crying because uh, she never wins. Say hello, and my so little friend. Yeah, <laughs> Chi-Chi, they bring Chi-Chi along, um, and that's what they do. They end up taking uh, a car that's not necessarily the best, but uh, they base that all on looks and fun. They're like, this looks like a fun car to drive across the country in. Style uh, versus substance. They did, yeah they didn't get they didn't get the bus like priscilla so they had to drive this uh convertible and i was the entire time just like oh this is this would be i mean even no matter what time of the year there's just not a it's not a good idea to drive a convertible across the country because you're always going to hit some weather well especially if you have wigs on that wouldn't no you wouldn't be doing that (laughs) absolutely not i used to own a convertible and again i did the relatable thing i'm like that I, i drove the convertible top down from here to davenport iowa one time and i had i had so much like wind slap against me like i could barely hear by the time i got up there i was just like how does anybody do this like especially cross country like they'd be uh deaf and blind <laughs> with all the crap flying in the car and all the wind around them and like danielle said with the wigs like 
man, they must have snatched those pretty hardcore, like use Bondo or something on their head to get those things on. Fun. Yeah, I was. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Because if I note about Robin Williams, um, they kind of wanted him to do the Vita role, but he didn't want to do it because he was too hairy. But um, he <laughs> <laughs> he was actually one of the reasons that he told Steven Spielberg, "Yes, you really do need to make this." Because um, I was reading an article from one of the, the like producers or something. And he had kind of said, you know, I gave this script to Steven Spielberg because it came to me and I was like, you have to make it. And so Steven gave it to Robin Williams because he's like, I want to know if, if if this is as funny as I as I think it is. And Robin Williams was like, yes, do it. Yeah, I read Steven Spielberg was sent the script and had Robin Williams read it to him on a flight together, oh which would be a fascinating flight. Um, Spielberg was said to be have been mesmerized by Williams' cold reading of the script. Uh, Bebin Kidron was nine months pregnant when she was signed to direct, so Spielberg told her if she needed to leave production, he would direct the film for her. So um, if she had to step out, she was, like I said, she was nine months pregnant when she was hired. So, uh, you know, he, he basically said, if, if you have to step out to, you know, give birth to a baby, um, I'll step in, which... Imagine if this was a Spielberg film. Uh, that would be very interesting. And, like, it's weird. I didn't even know that it was directed by a female until reading this stuff now. But, you know, it had said, like, basically a lot of male directors passed. So, of course, they had to have a woman do it because, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I was surprised it was an Amblin picture when I turned it on because Amblin, you know, is known for like E.T. and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of family-friendly, like, kid kitty stuff, basically. And so it was sort of cool to see that they actually uh, took this under their wing and made it as an Amblin picture. Because this one, like I said, is this, I mean, this is a little more, I'd probably say. I wouldn't, I would probably love it as a kid. I would have thought it was hilarious. There wasn't necessarily anything too uh, R-rated mm -hmm. that, not as not as much as Priscilla. Priscilla definitely felt a little more serious in tone, a little more adult, where this one feels like a little more over the top and uh, funny to probably funny to any age group. You probably the jokes would probably go right over my head, which is probably a good thing. But um, I probably would have loved this as a kid. It's a term we use in the drag world called campy. It's very okay. campy. Yes. Very, yes. very slapstick campy, which I love campy. I mean, you throw campy on anything and I'm going to buy it or watch it or have it in my closet up in the drag room but uh yeah i i really love this movie i mean it's uh, to me it's a cult classic not only in the drag world but in the entire world really um and i just want to make a mention about how gorgeous john Leguizamo looks at the very end of the movie Chi Chi, <laughs> when they yeah. unveil her i'm like oh my god bitch yes <laughs> just beautiful yeah, and I'm I'm impressed by just the way they all pulled off. Like Wesley Snipes is one of the like manliest men, the biggest muscles, the hardest edges on his chin. Um, just has like a a very masculine face, and whoever did their makeup, uh, kudos to them for for pulling this off because that probably was not easy. Uh, Swayze uh, is a pretty boy. As much as he was an action star, he's definitely he was a very um, gorgeous man i would say so they're probably they didn't have their work cut out for that like it didn't take much to probably to make swayze beautiful so you probably read this as well when you were looking at it but like wesley snipes and john leguizamo both immediately said yes and then it was trying to find the role of vita and okay so all these guys auditioned robert downey jr william baldwin 
Gary Oldman, Matthew Broderick, James Spader, John Cusack, Mel Gibson, uh, Willem Dafoe, John Turturro, Matt Dillon, <laughs> Rob Lau, Johnny Depp, Tom Cruise, and of course Robin Williams. But Patrick Swayze wanted this role so bad that he had people transform him into a woman and he and the director took a walk around the city just to prove that he could pass as a woman. So That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I know Gary Oldman claims that he was originally offered the the role, one of the lead roles, but he decided against it because he had just finished uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula and didn't want to be in heavy makeup. Okay. But to me, it's like, this is totally different than yeah. uh, a vampire you know latex prosthetics it's not like he was doing uh mrs doubtfire like <laughs> transformation or something you know and th- to me that's sort of a an out maybe i don't know but oldman can transform into literally anything and anybody he's he's amazing as a chameleon but um i'm glad that we got the cast that we did yeah i think john Leguizamo really did a stellar job yes According to his autobiography, he frequently improvised and angered Patrick Swayze so much that Swayze tried to punch him in the face during shooting. <laughs> Roadhouse. <laughs> yeah. I Wrong movie, Patrick. From my film production experience that I've had, I can't remember who it was that I met, but they had worked on this movie and they said that Swayze was kind of a bitch, but <laughs> kind of made it hard to film. Like he, he was kind of a jerk at some points. But I don't know. I'm speaking ill of the dead. Oh, my God. Oh, it's okay. Uh, According to the three male leads, upon completion of filming, they burn their costume wigs and makeup because it took so long each morning to become women. But Patrick's wife, after his death, put a wig from this movie up for auction uh, at Julian's in 2017. So he might have said he burnt everything, but he at least kept a wig. That's really rude to, like, burn everything. Ugh. Yeah, it's it seems there's, like it's part of film history. Like, there's poor drag queens out there; they could have donated. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there's an organization for that somewhere. I know yeah, there is. Like Drag for Kids Foundation. Like you know, <laughs> donate your old wigs and, and heels today. Yes, for the drag <laughs> for the future drag princesses. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wanted to add this. This movie made me love John Leguizamo as an actor. Like, I didn't know too much about him prior. Um, but watching him in this movie really like indica- indicated like my love to him. Like I followed him after that with a lot of his work and past and pre- you know present and future stuff that he did. So mm-hmm. I was just really impressed by his performance and Patrick Swayze. Like Tad, you said, very much pretty boy, but played the part perfect. Like he kind of broke that stereotypical "I'm a macho man, but I can also do this." You know, like. There's right. Really, you can't really label anybody as one set thing um, when it comes to that. So do you guys think uh, when I saw this and I've heard about this before, like going into it, I really only knew that Patrick Swayze was in it and these actors were in drag. That's pretty much what I knew. But do you guys think that it relies too heavily on the gimmick of using these sort of macho actors as drag queens? It's like, you know, I don't know. It seems to to lean heavy onto that. I really did enjoy it. And I, I'm not saying necessarily that, but I can understand where someone might say like, it's, it's literally one gimmick. Like these, these tough guys are just plain women. And that's what, you know, we're laughing at. I think probably in the day. Yes. But I can tell you now, 
like that movie were to come out now, I don't think there would be as much stigma around it because I know a lot of very masculine, very muscleized drag queens out there that I follow on like Instagram and that I have met through uh, networking. Uh, it's really opened the door up for them to actually want to, you know, if they wanted to perform, but they felt they were too masculine. I kind of feel this movie was a little ahead of its time with that um, because of what it is now today. Um, there's a queen that was, I think, on RuPaul's Drag Race a couple seasons ago, and I can't remember her name, but she's a well-known, like, underwear model. Um, very, like, chiseled muscles, like, bigger than Wesley Snipes, but beautiful, gorgeous woman um, when he gets dressed up. So I, I kind of make those tie-ins, you know, especially when I rewatch this movie prior to the podcast here, that I'm like, you know, I wonder how that movie would go about today, like, if it were to come out now. Um, versus when it did come out all those years ago. I think in that sense, it was a little ahead of its time with breaking those masculinity stereotypes. Yeah, I never really thought about that, how someone, how it might inspire people who were not comfortable with their own like masculine bodies to go out and, and feel like they could do it too. That, that's awesome to think like my, my little pea brain wouldn't you know think about that i'm just seeing like you know maybe this it it came off as sort of like a a gimmick let's put these tough guys in dresses but um i felt like swayze and john were both like i mean also wesley but those two really uh put their all into the acting part of it and you know just embraced the role completely it was almost uh, you almost forgot who they were. Uh, and in my case, I had no idea who Chi Chi was. It was so, so transformative in this role that I really did not know. Apparently, yeah. uh, Chi Chi Rodriguez is the name of, of a professional golfer who later sued over the use of his name. Yeah, and got <laughs> got money out of it. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> I will say that, I mean, you the film only works because they're in drag the whole time like it's the the plot is so dependent upon that like it's so unrealistic that gay men would be in drag for an entire road trip because of the amount of work and you know uncomfortableness of the outfits and such but like this story doesn't work otherwise and so i think that's sometimes the kind of things that we the suspension of disbelief that we give to a lot of comedies is that, okay, there's no way this would happen, but we're going to allow it because it's fun. Yeah, because they have like a duffel bag each and somehow they have mm-hmm. a different outfit on every every 10 minutes in this movie. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's sort of like the a clown car type thing where they just keep pulling stuff out of the bag. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I noticed, like, uh, we talk about it, like, being remade today. Like, there's a couple sequences that uh, that were mentioned in some of the stuff I was rereading. And it's like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, at the beginning where they, like, talk about, like, transsexual and stuff. Like, terminology has changed. Um, mm-hmm. And in theory, in theory, they are technically transgender women if they're going to be in drag all the time. But that's the difference between... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> putting on a persona and being in drag versus being yourself as a trans person. Living that lifestyle, right. Yeah. Um, and then the, the just like, it's okay for Noxzema to make a bunch of slams against a Latina person at the beginning because that's kind of like those two are kind of fighting kind of like Bernadette and Adam did in Priscilla. But then at near the end, 
Vita is starting to say stuff, and Noxime is like, Mm-mm, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When she's bad talking Chi Chi and saying like sway back and stuff, and it's just like, so I mean, there, so there are some elements like that that I think are seen differently today or would be seen differently today. I mean, it'd be, I'd be intrigued to see a road trip movie like this today with like all of the all of the changes that have become right you know things are more prominent now people are are learning that they have to be acceptable be accept accepting um so it'd be interesting to see how how it would be done yeah i'm surprised they haven't not necessarily remade it but done another uh movie just because like cody said that it's so mainstream now with uh rupaul's drag race and Mm -hmm. every knockoff of that show it's like i know you know some of the some dudes that will go like work on their car and then go watch rupaul's drag race Mm -hmm. like it's uh you know it's it's on everybody's tv everybody is i mean just this uh holiday season i think uh, RuPaul's doing like Old Navy or Gap ads mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, Chris- Christmas so, ads. I was so shocked to see her on an Old Navy commercial. I'm like, what Me the too. hell's going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what? 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 What the hell? I just <laughs> I was blown back. You know, like holy crap! Like it's just it's just crazy. And I know RuPaul herself has been on many shows as like a guest host or a, a judge or you know the, the, it's just more integrated now and it, it, just to add to your guys's point it would be very interesting to see a kind of two wong fu movie now um with where they'd go with the story and how they would interpret that um over the screen uh to the audience itself there so yeah my vote is uh cody you play one of the roles <laughs> we need we need some coquina in a movie <laughs> You know, I've always wanted to like do a bus tour. I uh, I had this idea of doing a show before COVID hit that uh, I was going to rent a party bus and uh, I was going to sell VIP tickets so people could stay on the bus and actually see the queens like change out of outfits into new outfits. And we were going to go to like four or five bars and like do an impromptu like show in the bar. Like we'd have a mobile DJ that would come in, set up, and then we'd each do a number each and then we'd get back on the bus and then go to the next bar. I thought that would be so fun. So it's still in the back pocket that I want to do that, but um, there, there, that could be a movie idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just, I was going to ask you about that. Um, Obviously in this weird time that we're in right now, uh, shows just aren't happening. So is it sort of weird to just sit back and you're probably getting antsy, not doing any shows. I am. I mean, it's been nice having the time off because, you know, as we talked about before, it takes a lot of work behind the stage to get the onstage ready to go for the audience. Um, So the time off has been nice. But at the same time, I'm a performer at heart. Um, My thespian heart is like pounding out of its chest right now because I have so many ideas and directions I want to go with all the music that has come out this year and ideas of, you know, songs i've listened to that i written down because i don't want to forget about them but it's it's been since february since i performed i got a amish beard now i mean time <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i was gonna say you you, you have the uh you, you've taken your spare time to grow a giant beard so uh you can still integrate well, you that my inspiration, Tad. <laughs> <laughs> but my beard will never be as glorious as tad's but i just i don't know it's getting there it's getting there it has like, a lot less gray in it <laughs> 
I was just like, I wonder how long my beard would grow. I just, you know, after March, you know, when COVID came and I'm like, well, I, there's no purpose for me to shave my beard and my eyebrows off because I'm not putting makeup on. So I was like, I'll just see how long I can grow this. And here we are sitting in November and it, like when I bend yeah. my head down, it's like poking me in the chest now. You so could use that as a shtick for your comeback when we're done with the pandemic and you get to perform again because there are other, you know, queens who have integrated their beards into their drag and oh, yes. make some COVID jokes about it, you know. I was going to say, definitely uh, could see Cody doing a COVID-based uh, set, like a, a show um, revolving around COVID. He's dancing with, like, the, the germs. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and well, like, seven, eight. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it took all of, like, a week of shutdown for you to start creating videos almost every night where you're doing uh, numbers, like you know you're you're just a performer at heart where it's like well i can't go out and do it i will do it at my house and shoot it on my phone and throw it up on social media absolutely i mean that that was the start of the itch there uh just needing to do something uh because my costumes were just sitting up there not doing anything i'm like well let's put them to good use like the family involved we get greg involved so it was it was quite fun i really enjoyed it so but yeah i would love i i think a covid coquina show would be fantastic <laughs> Maybe I could make like a gown out of all of my used masks that I have. Oh, <laughs> See, yes. That's all it took was like, you know, me to say it and your mind's already there. Like well, you're, you're... You know, Priscilla Queen of the Desert when Tick had the uh, flip flop dress on. I was like, oh, my God, I would totally wear something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you kind of talked about like uh, we didn't have any drag performances from uh into Wang Fu, really. I mean, besides right them them being in costume, they didn't perform. Yeah, it was more like a pageantry, like the pageantry side. Which mm-hmm. when I first got involved with drag, that was kind of the direction I went because my drag mother at the time told me if I did pageantry, I would learn very hard what to do and what not to do because you know you've got the cream of the crop of queens judging you at a pageant and they're going to mm-hmm. tell you if you don't look good or if you do look good but this needs to change so i did pageantry for probably six or seven years of my beginning stages of my drag career which again i'm glad i did because it molded me into the performer of today and really helped me guide my direction of what i wanted to do with coquina um so but it also helped get me networking my name out there too because even though i didn't win majority of the pageants people knew who i was because i put that staple in you know i i put the time and work into it i wanted to make a huge impression on uh everybody that i was performing against so uh you know i cherish those those years but in you know tuong fu they it's got that kind of pageantry um system set up and i can tell you like the beginning scene where you know the crowd's going crazy it's actually like that at those pageants so (laughs) yeah it is just the energy is chaotic and insane at those pageants so nothing that i've ever experienced in performing at other bars and and, in places of such well, I know it's uh, competitive whether you're getting whether there's an award to win or not. Even if you're you're putting on a show, it might be even more competitive because you're not, you know, you're just sort of taking home the pride of being the the best performer that night. It's like you feed off of each other's energy. Oh, absolutely. 
uh, you know, we, we all like to call ourselves sisters, but deep down inside, we all think we're the best. And so <laughs> it can get rather catty in the backstage area, but you know, at the end of the night, we all love each other very much. So. Ain't nobody coming here uh, to mi- win Miss Congeniality. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this right, is RuPaul's best friend race. Yes. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> there are like, you're like, there's so many good line, good, like line, like we'll use mentioned There's so many one liners that you've heard people reference and you didn't know. And like one of the ones that I always like was uh, near the end when like Vita and Noxima, I think between the two of them kind of said, your approval is neither required nor desired, but I will take your acceptance. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the scene where uh walks over and grabs a dude by the balls is yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah. I like when um oh the the wife says to Vita, she says, I don't think of you as a man or as a woman. I think of you as an angel. And Vita's like, I think that's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's uh Chi Chi says, I'm the Latina Marilyn Monroe. I've got more legs than a bucket of chicken. Yes. Again, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that's the fun. Up. Like it's the it's we know it's not realistic, but it's escapism. Like one of the articles I was reading was talking about like how nice it was to just see the happy and fun side versus like the Philadelphia AIDS scary side. You know, just to have that living the life happy and that kind of stuff different uh, for the for the audience and before filming the scene in which sheriff dollard or dullard however you want to say it because it was a misprint on his badge uh pulls the car over roadside patrick swayze secretly placed a corn cob down the front of his underwear (laughs) so penn's expression of shock when he puts his hand up uh, swayze's dress was not faked Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, this movie came in at number one and took in $4 million, which is pretty impressive. I don't know the budget, but uh, it did very well. The lead actors spent time in New York City's drag scene to help get into their roles. Um, this one I thought was very interesting. Director Bibin Kidron uh, gave birth to her first child, Noah, on the last night of filming. Oh, wow. So in the credits uh noah is listed as the best baby mm. which is you know a play on the best boy nice. <laughs> so that's sort of cool last night of filming she gave birth um the, the title of the movie came from the autograph picture obviously but um there was actually the the author douglas carter bean saw uh the actual picture autographed of julie newmar on a wall of a times square chinese restaurant the china bowl mm-hmm. in the mid 1980s so that was you know based on a true story nice which is pretty cool yeah um let's see when there are three girls standing on the balcony while the town dances in the evening scene and one of them says it only takes a fairy the colors of their outfits resemble the three fairies from the from disney's sleeping beauty oh that's cool yeah and several characters are names are taken from classic literature virgil and beatrice appeared in uh dante Allegheny's Divine Comedy, while Billy Budd and Corey Elijah appeared in Herman Merville's work, Billy Budd and Moby Dick, respectively. So they have historic names. Okay, cool. that is something writers like to do sometimes. <laughs> Put in like all this extra thought into the namings and stuff. And that's kind of funny because like, I don't know. I mean, like, yes, this movie's epic, but it's not really that much of an epic. 
<laughs> that's like the most serious part of the movie is those names what do you know yeah yeah and that's something you know interesting to hear from a writer like did, do you notice little things like that when you're watching movies oh a little bit sometimes i need people to point them out to me because my senses have gotten dulled over the years <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't have caught on that just because mm-hmm. I'm not a smart enough man to know the... Uh, I, I have not read Moby Dick or mm-hmm. Billy Budd or uh, these classic books that, you know... That, maybe that will be a different episode, but I'm not reading an entire book for a podcast. Well, and you could have <laughs> thought, like, maybe they were just, like, using, like, old man names for, like, the rural areas, like Virgil. Because I'm out, we- I'm out in the rural area, and there are some weird names. Not only, like, weird old names, but, like, a lot of weird not real names like i don't even want to get into it <laughs> well i was gonna actually gonna ask you because snydersville which is where they're stuck is actually the tiny town of loma nebraska where they filmed i looked it up it's like two hours northish of me like it's north of lincoln and apparently the sign is still there like that says welcome to snydersville and i would totally go road trip to see that <laughs> yeah it's only two hours you can do that after we hang up like you could you could drive there with andy and get a picture and it sounds like i'd still be socially distanced because if it's a ghost town then you know yeah like dev- if it's a- <laughs> like leaving my own hometown my own town that i'm currently in to go <laughs> being a replica <laughs> <laughs> It could have been. Uh, yeah, too many people is just too two hundred people is too many. So yeah. I need to see less people. Uh, I love the scene where they do go to that shop and they find all the sixties clothes, oh. and uh, the shopkeeper sort of has a stutter and he's very nervous. And she hands him the book to read, and then later on we see him like confidently reading the book without a stutter. It's that's really cool. I totally want that fringe outfit. Noxima had loved it. Yeah, uh, Noxima pulls it out and one of the ladies is like you know oh that's gorgeous it's like uh this is for me (laughs) (laughs) oh so good uh did you have anything you read about more that you read about this one danielle oh the uh women's basketball team at the motel and then oh i forgot about that scene that is so funny (laughs) and then snipes with the white men can't jump roll essentially yeah (laughs) Um, I don't know. I saw I saw some people kind of like really dig on it to be like, it's just like marketed to straight America and like human Hollywood doesn't want thinks that straight people want to see deep sexual human gay people don't go see this movie. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> it's like, yeah, unfortunately, not surprising. Yeah, but that was somebody I think that was supposed to be in the LGBT community. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, there's problems with this movie, but it's fun and i don't know you love the good but the bad sometimes yeah i definitely like i said this one is um a light-hearted one to to sort of pop in and rewatch. and um i'm glad that i got to see both of these finally check them off the list um <laughs> i have yet to come across a movie that someone suggests that i didn't like which is you know a pretty good run uh, but I also, you know, surround myself with people who have good taste like you guys. So it's a lot easier. Oh, I'm looking you know, at to this day. I st- oh, sorry. sorry. No, Daniel, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was, was going to say um, to this day, I use what in gay hell um, for that movie. <laughs> uh, I probably heard you say that one at one point. And I was like, where is, where is that from? I probably mutter that at least 15 to 20 times uh, during a show. Like what in gay hell? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, writing down some notes earlier, and I was like, 
yeah, the founding fathers didn't mean for them to be included, which is true. But the old guy's like, yeah, but the founding fathers sure had great wigs. Yeah. <laughs> and high heels. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that. That was a that was a good line too. Very funny. Oh, and did you guys watch Priscilla to the very very end after the credits to see the blow up doll yes. end up in China? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I'm glad I stuck stuck through the credits because that was a funny. That was like done before post credit. I mean, other than Ferris Bueller, like there wasn't a lot of post credit scenes back then. Like now you have to stick through the credits for every movie mm-hmm. you know but back then that was like a, a very it's like sort of like the secret track on a cd yeah. you remember that oh yeah <laughs> sort of a thing of its time you can't do that now with uh digital like streaming it just doesn't work the same yeah i do also uh i'm just looking at notes that i've totally forgot to say for the last part of it but like i mean both movies had some really great zingers um and like bernadette like light your tampon string and get the only bang you're gonna oh my god yes yes (laughs) and then like bob's dog like what's its name herpes if she's good she'll heal (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh yeah i should have written those down right i mean it just the the one-liners and just being able to rip those out are just they're just great and i think that's why both of these movies are so fun to watch and they're fun to watch for different reasons if you want a little bit more drama and reality, you go for Priscilla. And if you want camp and fun, and you just you go for Chi Wong Fu. Yes, that's a good way to sum up both movies. Uh, did either of you have any final thoughts on either of these two movies before we say goodbye to everybody? I don't, I'm just glad that I got to watch uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. So thank you guys. And thank you for having me on here. And of course, Tu Wong Fu is always going to have a place in my heart. I would suggest when I talked about Coco Peru in uh, Tu Wong Fu, she's the one with the uh, redhead Bob wig. You guys have got to watch Girls Will Be Girls. Mm. She's in a cast of three drag queens. Um, it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, you get to kind of see a different side of Coco in that movie along with the other two girls so but overall both movies excellent like danielle said they each serve their own purpose of the camp and the series so yeah i'm glad i could get you on because it's great to have some insight from someone who actually does this um actually you know performs and uh it's just a, a different set of eyes to hear it from how it really works. And, and to hear that, you know, there actually is some realness to this is, is nice to hear that it's not just completely um, inaccurate. Absolutely. No, I appreciate it. Thank you guys again. Yes. It was a lot of fun to share this. Good time. Yes. Thanks for the Danielle. <laughs> uh, yes, of course, Danielle. Um, you're a writer. What are you working on? Where can people find um, your updates, what you're doing, um, your whereabouts? Yeah, they can follow me on Facebook at Danielle P. Smith. I also have a website, daniellepsmith.com. Very easy to find there. Are you working on anything right now? Um, yes, I just finished revising a script that I've been working on for a couple of years. It was like version number five of it. I got it submitted to a festival um, and I'll probably start submitting it to some other festivals. And then I'm also working like on a novel version type of thing uh, based on my own journaling. Um, I've been journaling since I was like 10 years old. So, you know, 20 plus 
15, 25 years of journaling. Yeah. Awesome. Um, awesome that you're keeping productive during this time. I mean, that's sort of one of the few nice things. I mean, you're a writer, so you, you know, you can keep writing and writing. Um, obviously the environment affects how things are. Everybody's a little more stressed and things are not normal, but, um, it's good to hear that you keep trudging along and, and doing what you're doing best. So, uh, it's great to hear that. I'm on a luxury liner as far as this COVID storm is going. <laughs> like, I have a job <laughs> from home. It only requires 30 hours of me, and I get to hang out with my cats all day. And, like, I live in a very, like, pretty much isolated rural community, and I don't go anywhere. So I, I, I admit I am on a luxury liner while other people are clinging to life rafts, and heart goes out to them. And I, you know, we wish the best for everybody. But I'm staying on the luxury yes, liner. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Cody, I know that, you know, with COVID, you aren't able to do any shows currently. Um, do you have anything you want people to uh, see or hear? I know, personally, um, I would recommend watch, going back and watching Cody's videos from the beginning of the pandemic. They're hilarious and uh, <laughs> brought a lot of people joy during a, an awful time. Oh, yeah. I Like we had touched base on, I the creativity never stops with my brain, so when COVID started, I didn't let that stop me from still doing what I love doing. Whether I was in drag or out of drag, I was still able to entertain people virtually. Um, I'm, I'm actually considering starting those videos back up again because of, you know, our third spike of, you know, people being positive and all that. And then the, the, the politics of, you know, social media and that, I think we're kind of in a dark era again. And I'm just like, gosh, people need to just sit back and laugh some more. So I'm, I'm looking to do more videos again on Facebook. Um, I've been in talk with the Moose Lodge here in Burlington. Um, we're thinking of doing a show in the spring, like March, April time, as long as COVID is to a dull roar at that point. I just, you know, safe people's safety is my number one concern. And with the line of work that I'm in with, you know, retirement home and that, I got to think about my residents. Uh, first before myself. So uh, I just want to keep myself safe. And, you know, Greg owning his own business, he's the only man there. So if he gets sick, then we have to close. So, uh, you know, it, it makes it hard, but I, I try to keep things going in the sense of, you know, keeping things virtual for right now. So yeah, check out my Facebook, Cody Fleetner, um, and stay tuned. Well, I know you, you used to have one for Coquina and then Facebook was like, that's not a real name. So they made you change it back yes. to your real name. Yeah, yeah, I had to actually put my middle name in. So I have a Cody Fleetner and then my Coquina page is Cody James Fleetner. But I rarely use that page anymore. I usually incorporate everything onto my main page. So uh, you'll see a lot more on that page versus my, my Coquina page. Yeah, people who are listening that know me, um, if you know me, you know Cody. It's simple as that but um you know if you're listening because you know danielle go check out cody's uh videos they're hilarious and they'll they'll make you laugh i'm looking forward um, to thanks it. again yeah thanks again to both of you for coming on uh it's so good to hear from both of you it's good to hear you're doing well and still uh working hard and, and creating things during this weird time weird people we survive yeah. weird times <laughs> <laughs> absolutely all right, guys, we'll thank see you. you next time on. Yeah, thank you, guys. We'll see yeah, you next time you. on First Time Podcast. Thank you again for listening to the First Time Podcast. 
If you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and give us a like on Facebook. Follow or subscribe to the First Time Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A huge thank you goes out to Scott Schreiner of Weezer for our intro and outro music. Last but not least, do us a favor and share this podcast with someone else who might enjoy it. We appreciate your support. Now listen here, you mullet. Why don't you just light your tampon and blow your box apart? Because it's the only bang you're ever going to get, sweetheart. (laughs) Ha, 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 